The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. Tonight is our very special holiday show, folks. On this 17th day of December 2023, we're getting close to Christmas. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is right across the way. He's at the helm of all things technical. This is our last show, folks, in 2023. Uh, leading off tonight, we'll welcome in the former Stony Brook Seawolf, the former Met, and a member of the world champion Texas Rangers, Travis Jankowski, will be here. And in the second half, we are delighted to be able to speak to, uh, on this holiday show, Direct from Bedford Falls to our airwaves, Zuzu Bailey herself, Carolyn Grimes. So we'll be sure to get the inside story on the Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, from Carolyn. So just sit back, relax, get comfortable, enjoy Sports Talk New York on GBB. we got some great people, some great stories up ahead. As always, I invite you to follow us on social media. You can follow me on Facebook. My page is The Talk of New York Sports. Check that out. You can also follow us on X at Sports Talk New York. You can follow me on X at B. Donahue, WGBB. And all past shows are out on the website the next day, so if you miss one, don't worry about it. You can catch up anytime you want. Well, our first guest, he's a native of, uh, native of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He's played for the Padres, the Reds, the Phillies, of course, the Mets, the Mariners, and the Texas Rangers during his career. We, of course, remember his days here with the Mets and with the Stony Brook Seawolves. He was one of the heroes in the 19, excuse me, 19, 2023, yeah. I think I started celebrating already. Uh, 2023 World Series for the champion Texas Rangers. They call him Fred. Stick around. We'll find out why. Very happy to welcome to, to the show tonight, Travis Jankowski. Travis, good evening. Good evening, Bill. How you doing? We're doing great, Travis. It's wonderful to have you aboard. I, I just want to know, last Sunday, we were happy to have uh, with us Patrick Cantwell, and uh, another Stony Brook guy, another Texas Ranger, and uh, he, he was great. Well, I hope I can live up to what Patty gave you. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's a great guy. He is. Good, good kid. Now, what is it like growing up? Uh, around Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I just wonder, you know, what's the everyday life like out in Lancaster? Slow-paced. Yeah. That's how I like it. It's, uh, Good. Yeah. you know, a lot slower. Um, you know, people ask me that all the time. I mean, we, we have movie theaters. We have stuff like that you go to and enjoy the, you know, as a kid. But for me, I was kind of always involved in sports, uh, pretty much year-round playing, uh, you know, football, baseball, basketball, golf, um, and, uh, you know, for me, my, my childhood was pretty much spent outdoors. Now, your your father coached you and your brother, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's great. Okay, now, uh, I believe you you were a fan of the Phillies, correct? Yep. And yep. Who, I, uh, who was your guy? 
Chase Utley, as bad uh, as that is for well, New Yorkers. Well, yeah. I, I, hope I, I hope you can keep me on. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's not those, those are curse words up around here, Travis. You know that. I know, I know. He was just, to me, you know, he he embolizes how you, you know, as a young kid, how you play the game. You know, the guy played hard all the time, um, gave everything he had. So uh, I know he's not well-liked in New York, but Chase is still one of my uh, childhood idols. Well, uh, just between you and I, Travis, Ozzie Smith told me that uh, Chase went in okay and uh, that uh, Ruben was uh, facing the wrong way when when uh, the play came in. Yeah, so there, there's a Hall of Famer coming out in favor of Chase Utley. So you got to give that some consideration. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll leave my opinion uh, off the New York network, but uh, I think yeah. Ozzy and I kind of have a similar opinion. I got you. All right. Now, uh, you played on, on the baseball team and the football team at uh, Lancaster Catholic High. Yep. Yeah, and how did you make it to Stony Brook? Yeah, so um, I actually went down to a um, I went down to a showcase down in uh, Tampa Bay, Florida, at Tropicana Field, mm-hmm. uh, and this would have been uh, junior summer going into my senior year. So, I uh, still had no scholarship offers. Still, really hadn't heard anything from any uh, any college coaches. Actually, heard more about you know potentially playing collegiate football. Um, and I went down there, you know, I didn't have a ton of time to do showcases of travel ball growing up just because, like I said, playing three sports, you know, your time is kind of dedicated to your, you know, community teams and the teams that you look close to. Um, so I went down there for a two-day showcase, and it's kind of funny, you know, you, you look at the schools that were down there, and it's Miami, Florida, Florida State, um, UCF, USF. and. Yeah. I remember, you know, I'm looking at these lists, and I'm like, you know, Stony Brook's at the bottom of the list. And I, I remember saying, Stony Brook, geez, is that a Division three school? Like, <laughs> I want to go down south in Florida, you know. I want to I want to be a Gator, you know. I want to be a Hurricane. I want to be down <laughs> yeah. there and play with these guys. Right. And, uh, you know, went down there, had a pretty good showcase, nothing spectacular. Um, and, of course, you know, lo and behold, the only coach who came up to me and talked was Joe Panucci from Stony Brook. And, uh, you know, he had to tell me where Stony Brook was. He sent in Long Island, and he invited me up there for a visit. Um, I sent him a few more uh, videos, uh, DVDs, you know, my highlight tape of of, uh, of baseball that I had made. And I uh, went up there, visited with Coach Sank and Coach Panucci. And, um, yeah, they were the only scholarship for baseball I had. So it, uh, it made that part pretty easy. Well, I think the, the... – must be a good bunch of guys. Matt Sank, he helped me get in touch with you. He helped me get in touch with Patrick. So uh, I can imagine he, he's he's a great guy. Now, the uh, the Cinderella run that you guys had in 2012 to, to the College World Series, talk a little bit about that for us. Yeah, to me, that whole run starts with um, it goes out to, you know, Coach Sank and the coaches he had on that staff for recruiting good guys. Um you know, you can go out and you can always recruit the best talent, but they did such a good job of selling, finding talent mixed in with good players, you know, good people. Um, just all around, you know, that, that group of 28 guys we had on that team from the time that, uh, you know, the, the 2012 class came in, it was one of those things that we all bonded together. You know, we were hanging out together 24-7, you know, on campus, off campus, um, and we looked out for each other. You know, there was very rarely a time where, we weren't traveling in at least a group of six, seven people, you know, walking on campus. Right. Um, We just, we all meshed, you know, and uh, when you get 28 guys all kind of pulling for the same goal of, you know, just to win, you know, do anything it is to win, good things happen. And that's just kind of what turned up there in 2012. You know, we, uh, 
we had a good group of guys who were obviously very talented, very well coached, and um, we only wanted to win. That was it. You know, it was, hey, you know, we're going to win or we're going to go down swing and trying. Right. Yeah, as you say, a bunch of guys all pulling together with the same goal. Good things can happen. And then UCLA came along, and the rest is history. But that, I remember that following in, in uh, the, the exploits in Newsday, and uh, that truly was a great run by the Seawolves back then. Now, you were selected 44th overall in the 2012 draft, Travis. Uh, taken in the first round, highest MLB draft pick from the America East Conference since Carlos Pena. You folks may know Carlos from the MLB Network. Uh, he he uh, shows up on there every once in a while. But uh, you, you and your buddy Max uh, both signed uh, on June 27th. Yep, yep. So... Um... You know, like you said, it got drafted. It was actually right after the um, right after the regional win down in Miami when we beat UCF. I got a phone call after the game, and uh, you know the Padres called and said that they selected me with the 44th pick. And uh, yeah, I tell you what, it was great to you know celebrate with the team and enjoy that. But it was kind of one of those things where we still had to finish business. You know, we were going to LSU and we had to go in there to pretty hostile territory, so. Uh, as enjoyable as it was, it was more so, hey, we got something special brewing right here, right now. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's, you know, finish the season out strong. So, uh, once we, uh, once we beat LSU and then went to the College World Series and once we got eliminated, the Padres were kind enough to take about a week to 10 days off, relax, catch your breath a little bit. Then they flew me out to Arizona to sign the contract, but uh, nice. man, that was uh, those those two three weeks there. That was a whirlwind. Yeah, I can imagine. Now the 2013 season, yeah, uh, you're the 21, uh, the 21st prospect in the Padre system, and that's uh, decided, folks, by Baseball America. Uh, you go to Class uh, Class A, which advanced Class A. Lake Elsinore Storm. I always thought that Lake Elsinore had one of the best logos, Travis, in minor league baseball with with those eyes. I always thought that was Absolutely. cool. <laughs> I could not agree any more with that. Yeah, o- always good. Now you really worked on developing your base stealing abilities, and that 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 holds true to this day. That is a huge part of your game. Yep. Yep, to me, you know, I got to talk with some really good base stealers, and I think just, you know, the, the higher up you get, you know, the the more coaches can be dedicated to skill-specific, uh, you know, talent that you have. So I was blessed to be able to learn from some really good uh, really good base stealers kind of ahead of me in the organization in AA and AAA, and, uh, and also had, you know, really good coaches. You know, uh, Dave Roberts was in the uh, – in the, uh, you know, the clubhouse there in San Diego when I was there, he pulled me aside and he helped me with some base dealing tips. And, you know, that's another name that's not probably too well liked by New Yorkers, but, uh, he, he helped me out a ton with some base dealing stuff. And he, uh, yeah, he just, he kind of freed me up and just let my talents, uh, just kind of, you know, take care of it. He, um, and that's the thing, you know, it's, it's not so much you have to be excellent at everything, you know, to get to the big leagues. It's, you need to separate yourself from everyone else in, you know, one, two, three categories. You know, we we all don't have the talent of, you know, Otani or, you know, Mike Trout. It's it's one of those things that, hey, this is your talent that's going to get you to the big leagues. You need to be excellent at this. And, uh, you know, Dave told me that, and I just ran with it. 
just stepping aside for a moment, Travis, uh, talking about Otani, I'm sure you've spoken to some of your teammates about that, that contract. Uh, without giving away too much, what, what's the general consensus uh, among the players about that, that contract that he signed with L.A.? <laughs> well, it's a lot of money, right? Yes, <laughs> uh, yes. First and foremost, crazy, you know, <laughs> I, I think uh, the issue, you know, that arises comes in with, uh, you know, obviously the deferred money is, is um, sure what you're alluding to. You know, you talk about it, and uh, is it fair? I don't know. You know, I don't right. think there's an answer to that question, yeah. but it's clearly legal. You know, so. Um, you know, maybe it's something that if, if more teams can figure out, you know, which guys will take deferred money, uh, maybe they can build, you know, a championship caliber team, you know, around that. It's just, you know, uh, money in your pocket's a lot better than, you know, money guaranteed 10 years down, 10 years down the road. So the deferred money isn't something that a lot of baseball players typically like to hear or to, uh, or to, you know, incentivize in their deals. Understood. Yeah. Great answer, Travis. Thanks. Thanks for filling us in on that. Now, you also, uh, you, I was going to ask you about guys you met along the way that, that helped improve your game. Dave Roberts, of course, who's the manager of the LA Dodgers right now, uh, helped you. And also, uh, you had a manager by the name of Jamie Quirk, who was, uh, George Brett's teammate out in the can, in Kansas City. And, uh, he, he helped you with your defense, didn't he? Yep. He was unbelievable, you know, and, uh, you know, Jamie was one of those guys. I knew I was going to get along with him because the first day in Double A, when when we had our team meeting, he called us in and said, "Hey guys, there's two things." He goes, "Be on time and play hard." He goes, "You do those two things, I will never have an issue with you." He goes, "I don't care if you make an error." He goes, "I don't care if you strike out. I don't care if you guys make mistakes. You guys are going to." He goes, "That's all part of the game." He said, "Just play hard." He goes, "If you're going to mess up, mess up doing something aggressively." Uh-huh. And um you know, those comments kind of free you up in the outfield. You know, it lets you say, okay, well, he doesn't care if I die for a ball and miss it. You know, let's just see how much range I actually do have. Mm-hmm. So the ball's in the gap that typically, you know, you maybe pull up on or say, oh, I'm just going to, you know, take an angle and make sure it doesn't get to the wall. You take an aggressive, uh, you know, more aggressive angle to that. You cut it off and you die for it. You end up making a play because you're not going to get in trouble if you dive and miss it and the guy gets a double or a triple. Right. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, just Jamie saying, hey, go out and just try and catch everything. You know, I don't care if you miss it, die for it, and it goes to the wall, it's fine. You know, let's see how much range you can get. It kind of gave me the confidence to understand, okay, you know, I can cover a lot more ground than what I initially thought. Right, and that uh, gave Travis, folks, the uh, nickname Secretary of Defense, which is <laughs> pretty good. And uh, I, I believe, Travis, that's what endeared you to the folks here at City Field, was your style of play. You go all out, uh, you, you'll steal a base, uh, you'll take the extra base, and then the people in New York like that. So uh, I'm sure that that's what got you uh, the accolades and your own T-shirt in the gift shop. Uh, at City Field, we're talking with Travis Jankowski tonight. Uh, I believe you're a free agent now, aren't you, Travis? Yes, I am, Bill. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So Travis, uh, of course, had his run with the Texas Rangers. Hopefully, maybe uh, leave the door open here at, at City Field for Travis. See if see what happens here. Now, your major debut in uh, the major leagues in 2015. Uh, do you remember that day? I sure do. Yeah. Yes, I remember a couple you, of days leading up to that. You got uh, two base hits in your first two at-bats. 
Yeah, yeah, it used to be easy, Bill. It used yeah. to be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, you were the, the third Padre in franchise history to record hits in your first two major league plate appearances. And you became the first Padre since the great Tony Gwynn to record two hits and an RBI in your debut game. So that's not bad company, Travis. Oh, anytime you're mentioned with Tony Gwynn, that's something special. So Mr. Padre, uh, yes. Obviously, I don't think anyone's close to his caliber, but if I can just get my name mentioned like you just did with Tony Gwynn in the line, that's uh, that's pretty special for me. That, yeah, you'll take it, right? Um, Absolutely. In addition to your base stealing, you had a 24-game hitting streak um, between July 31st and August 26th, and that was the longest by a Padre since Robbie Alomar did it in 88. So... Uh, you really improved your game that year. Yeah, you know, that to me was just, uh, you kind of get to a level of comfort. You know, you're after, you know, your debut, uh, you understand what the big leagues is like. You adjust to the schedule. You adjust to the travel. Um, you're not kind of a, you know, a, a kid in a candy store looking around like, oh, my gosh, you know, kind of in awe of everything. Um, to me, you know, you see guys come up and they, you know, come in and step in in the big leagues and they make an impact immediately and continue that impact on for years and years. That, to me, is a special player um, because, you know, just as much as you're kind of in awe of everything and how it works, you know, the other teams are also saying, okay, how are we going to get this guy out? And that scouting report travels quick. So, uh, right. you know, to me, I just, that, that first year up there, I just wasn't adjusting quite quick enough as to how they were pitching me and, uh, you know, you start thinking and overanalyzing, and then next thing you know, you're, you know, 0 for 10, 0 for 20, 0 for 30, and you're just, you know, scrounging just to get a hit and worrying if your name's going to be in the lineup. So that second year for me, you just get a lot more comfortable. There's not as much, uh, there's not as much adjusting, you know, just as far as off the field, you know. Um, yeah, and it, uh, it, it just kind of all came out that year as far as, okay, uh, you know, I got my confidence. Okay. I can play at this level. I can compete at this level, you know, day in and day out. And, um, yeah, after that, you know, uh, shoot, we're eight years later and still hanging on. Now, there was an incident, I believe, when you were with the Phillies, uh, Travis, where uh, they booed you, which is really a surprise coming from the, the uh, wonderful people in Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you used that incident to focus on improving your game uh, in the batter's box, and uh, you improved to nine hits in your first 26 at-bats that year. Yeah, you know, after uh, 40,000 people boo you for two, three straight days, you kind of want to get a hit every time because you don't want to get booed again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I know the Philly fans can be rough, but that uh, that was totally deserving of getting booed for what I did. So it's, uh, there's no hard feelings toward the Philly fans. Now, you, you came to the Mets. Uh, you, you had success here. How did you feel about your time in New York, Travis? Tell us that. You know what? It was uh, – it was such an awesome experience. Uh, first and foremost, that's, you know, hands down one of the best organizations that I've played for. You know, just uh, straight up professional, the way they treat their players, you know, from top to bottom, just incredible. Um, you know, as far as the time there, uh, I wish I could have stayed healthy. You know, that uh, that's the only thing that kind of derailed that season for me. You know, I, I started off well, you know, was really kind of, uh, nestled into a good little role there, fourth, fifth outfielder, coming off the bench, you know, doing what I needed to do just to help the team win. Um, and then unfortunately, you know, in May going down with a broken, uh, broken knuckle and missing about eight weeks there trying to rehab and come back. And, uh, 
you know, you come back and the team's in first place and you're trying to, you know, maybe rush back a little bit, trying to do too much to, you know, prove that you should be in the lineup. And it, uh, you know, it didn't end the way I wanted it to in New York, but I, I have nothing but respect and, uh, and absolute, you know, top to bottom, there's professionalism there in that, in a Mets organization. But we appreciate your time here, Travis. That's for sure. Travis Jankowski on the show with us tonight. Uh, let's talk about the World Series, Travis. Uh, for, first give us your impression of Bruce Boshi. I mean, he comes in after being retired and he, all he does is win the World Series. <laughs> Yeah, Boach is uh he's a winner. You know, he reminds yeah. me a lot of Matt Sank. You know, both of those guys just win. Um, you know, the best thing about Boach is that he has enough old school in him where, you know, he has that gut feel, you know. And if you look in the playoffs, you know, there was quite a few teams that are, you know, analytically driven uh, in the postseason. And, uh, you know, Boach, he'll listen to the analytics. But, you know, when push comes to shove, he's going to go with his gut feel, you know. Um, and to me, that's what I kind of hope comes into the game a little bit more is experience, you know. Mm-hmm. Coach has been there. He's done that. He knows what to expect. You know, he doesn't need a, a computer to tell him every move he needs to make. He has that gut feel. He's been around the game his whole life. Um, so, you know, there's not a manager I'd trust more in a World Series than Bruce Bochy right now. You know, he... uh he never lets the moment get to him. He's always thinking four or five steps ahead of the moment that he's, you know, in right now. And, uh, man, the way he manages a bullpen is just incredible. So he, uh, yeah, he's, you know, hands down one of the best managers in the game right now and obviously a future Hall of Famer for a reason. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like anything bothers him. Uh, other managers you can see uh, maybe the pressure uh, mounting a little bit, but not Bruce. I mean, he stands there, he looks the same uh, in a 1-1 ball game as he does uh, down 13 nothing. Yep, yep, just even keel. And, you know, as players you appreciate that, you know. Mm-hmm. He was the same guy every single day from spring training all the way, you know, until game five of the World Series. And, you know, we had really good stretches. We had really bad stretches throughout the season. But, you know, like I said before, he's been there and done that. He understands that you're not going to win 162 games. And he understands you're not going to have, you know, six great months of baseball. You're going to go through it when you play that many games. And um, when you have, a, you know, a manager who has been through it and understands it and doesn't hit the panic button, you as players don't feel that, and you don't hit the panic button either. Right. And I was going to ask you, Travis, someone along the way who's had a great impact on your career, but I think I know who who those guys are. You, uh, Coach Sank at Stony Brook and, of course, the great future Hall of Famer, Bruce Boshi. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I got to speak about Boshi a good bit, and I could talk about Matt for hours and hours, just how he helped me, you know, not only with baseball but just through life, you know, as – as a college coach, you're getting guys at a, a pretty moldable stage in their life, you know, and, um, you know, you look at, you know, the players that, you know, Coach Sank has had throughout his career and, you know, not just on the baseball field, people who succeed on the baseball field and continue a profession in baseball, but, you know, you look at his players and, you know, I, I still talk with guys from the 2012 team and um, whether it's, you know, in a business field, in finance, you know, teaching, you know, firefighting, these guys are all successful, you know, and mm-hmm. I think Matt has a huge, huge part of that. Yeah, obviously that is true, uh, Travis. Now, I want to ask you, what was your walk-up music this year? Uh, this year I used Morgan Wallen. Okay, yeah, because uh, I asked Pat Cantwell, and he came up with PYT from Michael Jackson, Pretty Young Thing. What do you think of that? <laughs> 
That's Patty. That's yeah. Patty for sure. Yeah, that's, that's not me. That's Patty yeah. for sure. <laughs> okay. Now, let's talk about Fred. How did you get the nickname Fred? Yeah, so Fred came from, uh, I'm the youngest of three, um, older brother, older sister. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, they would go to school and I would be home. And when they came home from school, I was always watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So okay. His, uh, his first name is Fred, Fred Rogers. Right. And they couldn't stand the show. They, you know, every time, you know, they'd come home, they'd want me to turn it off. But I had the <laughs> remote since I'm watching it, so I wouldn't turn it off. So yeah. they started to call me Fred, and I couldn't stand it. I hated it. I threw temper tantrums. I cried. Um, yeah. And they kept doing it, you know, just as a good older brother and sister should, you know. Sure, rub it and, in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, this went on for a couple weeks, and my parents kind of got sick of the tantrums and the crying and said, hey, guys, just stop, you know, like, stop calling them that. <laughs> so they said, okay, well, if we have to stop, then that's fine, but we'll get, you know, our friends and teachers to start doing it. Oh, so, man. So, uh, you know, their friends started it, and then, you know, when we all went to the same elementary school, teachers started kind of passing it down, and then coaches started passing it down. And, uh, yeah, it's something that you just have to live with at that point, you know. It's just, yeah. all right. I guess I'll just live with it and not give them the uh, the benefit of seeing me throw my tantrum. So, yeah, Fred came from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Gotcha. All right. Now, have you introduced your children to Mr. Rogers? You know what? I haven't. My oldest is okay. uh, is five right now, um, and he yeah. watches kind of a spinoff, Daniel Tiger's neighborhood. Oh, yeah, Daniel um, Tiger, yeah. Yeah, so I think there's some similarities, but it's it's not the good old Fred. And it's not uh, what I grew up with, Travis, the violent Warner Brothers cartoon with Elmer Fudd <laughs> shooting Daffy Duck in the head, you know, and his his, his bill spins around and uh, just tells him he's despicable. That's, uh, and it, it didn't hurt me any, you know. I'm, I'm, no, I'm fairly well balanced, you know. <laughs> you guys all turned out all right who watched that show. Yeah. You guys are all good. <laughs> who would you say throughout the years, Travis, uh, your best teammate? Oh man, that's tough. Holy smokes. Um You can give a couple geez. so you don't slight anybody. Yeah, I'll go a couple. Um so with the uh with the Padres it was probably Eric Hosmer. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, just he he kind of started the whole transition from rebuilding to hey, we're gonna start winning here now. He kinda of brought that over from uh from Kansas City. So Haas is probably one of my uh one of my favorite teammates there. Um Cincinnati was tough because it was COVID year, so you don't really get to hang out too much with guys off the field. It's just, you know, it was just kind of a weird, weird year. So um, I'll go to Philly in 21. Um, Philly, I mean, they had a bunch of good guys. As, as much as you guys up in New York don't want to hear that, you know, um, JT is awesome. Bryce was awesome. Reese was awesome. Um, Nola, Wheeler, they were awesome teammates. Um, if I had to pick one of them, probably Nola. Um, but it's you're, you're going one A, one B, one C, one D right there. Those guys were great. Um, New York, um, New York. I would say Degrom. You know, Jake was awesome to me from day one. Um, he kind of helped me yeah. out. Just a, a great, you know, teammate. We kind of bonded over, you know, similar beliefs and morals. Um, and he just. Uh, I tell you what, he, he kind of broke me in and just let me know, hey, I don't know what you've experienced media-wise before, but it's a little different in New York. If you need any help, let me know. And we just kind of hit it off from there. Nice. Um, and then I would pick him again for Texas, but uh, I'll, I'll think of someone different. I'll probably go with um, 
man, I'll probably go Corey Seager. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, not only a great player, but, man, from top to bottom, just a stand-up guy, you know, just an all-American guy, down-to-earth, humble, um, you know, as, as much as, you know, as good as he is, he still only cares about winning, you know, and, and to me that says a lot about a person. You know, he's not out there chasing numbers. He's chasing championships. And that that's, uh, that's the way, yep. Absolutely. And uh, don't forget, Travis, the Philly fans are, are the one that uh, at the Eagles game bombed Santa Claus with snowballs. So, I did. I've heard stories yeah. of that. <laughs> so, so, you know, they, they probably would do it to the Easter Bunny, too. So, you know, you really oh. can't tell. But Without we'll, a doubt. We'll leave that for another day. Travis, it's been a pleasure. We thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us back here on Long Island. We wish you the best this year, and uh, we'll, wa- we'll watch you uh, progressing this season. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bill. It was awesome. That's Travis Jankowski, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, a special holiday treat. We welcome Zuzu Bailey herself, Carolyn Grimes, to the show, so stick around, folks. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, folks. Welcome back to Sports Talk New York here on WGBB on a rainy Sunday night on Long Island. A couple of days away from Christmas. I just wanted to mention to you quickly... Hall of Fame vote 24 is coming up. You could go to the Hall of Fame website, see all the new guys that are out there to be elected, and also the guys who will be returning on the ballot and their percentages from last year to give you an idea if they're going to be close this year. So I just want to mention that to you folks, and uh, so you could check that out at your leisure. Well, my next guest, her film debut came when she was six months old. She first attracted attention playing Fred McMurray's daughter in 1944's Pardon My Past. You remember that one, Brian. You were around for that, right? Sure, yeah. (laughs) Most famously, we remember her as, of course, little Zuzu Bailey from the classic It's a Wonderful Life. It is a pleasure to welcome to our holiday show tonight, Carolyn Grimes. Carolyn, good evening. Good evening to you. It's wonderful. Your listeners. Wonderful to have you with us, Carol. And and uh, as I said, it's our holiday show, so we're going to get people in the spirit to to uh, talk a little bit about it's a wonderful life and the wonderful Christmas season. Right. So so I wanted to first touch on Carolyn, your early years. Your mom 
took you to all sorts of lessons, training in violin, piano, song and dance, and uh, she she really got you going. Yes, she did. She was a stage mom, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> and I was an only child, so she put all her energy into giving me all kinds of lessons, taking me everywhere to learn. I had... I, I just learned everything, you know. Right. It was fun. I didn't know any difference, so it was yeah. good. <laughs> right, and it paid off for you. Now, uh, there was renewed interest, of course, in the 80s uh, in It's a Wonderful Life, and Jimmy Stewart uh, started to wonder whatever happened to Zuzu. So uh, his his secretary tracked you down. And you were already married and raising your children. And I, I believe it said that you never really saw the movie at that point. That's true. You know, I, I left the Hollywood life behind me mm-hmm. many, many, many years before. And I didn't stay connected with anybody out there. And my life was pretty much around my family. And that was it. You know, I had seven kids I was trying to raise. And so sometimes I get a little view at Johnny Carson at night, but that was about it. I didn't watch much TV. Right, okay. Now, there were some events in your life, really heartbreaking events, and the movie became a source of encouragement to you. That's very true. Uh, once, Once I discovered the movie and I really saw what it was about, I tried to put time in my life to spread the word and the messages from the movie. I did little speaking locally for about 10 years until my kids were grown, and then I went on the road with the Target Company in 1993. They reunited the Bailey kids. Ah. It's a wonderful life. was their theme and their stores that year. Mm -hmm. So that's when it really hit me was because when I saw all the people come through the autograph line, I mean, the stories they told about how that movie had affected their lives. It's just, well, I knew that I had to go on and, you know, spread the magic from that film. So I've been kind of on the road ever since. Yeah, it it turned out to be amazing, as you said, how the movie affected people's lives and just the stories they tell are just amazing. Now, we're speaking with Carolyn Grimes tonight on Sports Talk New York. The the famous line that, that you spoke, uh, look, Daddy, teacher says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Uh, do people ask you to repeat that? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. But that's okay, because I yeah. believe it. Yeah, and you spoke about the Target store and the, the, the chain uh, chose that theme that year, and all, all your kids got together. Are all the kids still with us, Carolyn? No, they're no. not. Okay. Um, the oldest boy, Petey, right. he is gone. He is, he's got his wings. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and the littlest boy and I are the, kind of the only ones that go on um, – and kind of travel for the film. And um, the Janie, who played the piano, she is is getting older, you know, and so she doesn't really do much anymore. But mm-hmm. So it's just she and I that go out and 
spread the word and meet the fans and you know, try to give them a little encouragement. And uh, that, of course, is Tommy, Tommy Bailey, uh, who burped and wanted to be excused in the worst way <laughs> from, 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 from his father, George. And we remember him there. Now, you actually met your husband out on the road. I did, yes. Tell mm -hmm. us about that. That's an interesting story. Well, I had a son who was 18 years old, and he took his own life, ironically. Mm. And um, so it was really difficult for me for a few years. And so the Association of Suicide Prevention was having a convention, and they called me and asked me if I would be willing to speak. They were going to sort of go and cut up the movie It's a Wonderful Life and dissect it and get all the information about suicide and so forth, study it, and then I was going to, you know, present my story. So I said, sure. I, I thought about it a long time because I hadn't even talked about it publicly before, and it was going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. But I thought if I could help anybody else who was in the same position, I would certainly want to try. So I went ahead and did that. And um, after it was over with, after I spoke, I I happened to have a little autograph line, and the very last person in the line was him. It was Chris. Wow. And so he um, started talking, and we started talking, and we were in this big ballroom thing, and so we walked out talking, and we stood in the foyer and talked and talked till 4 o'clock in the morning. Wow. <laughs> and that's how it all started. That is a wonderful story. That truly is. Now, uh, I wanted to ask you, Carolyn, how were you treated by Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed, and any stories of uh, how those guys were with the kids? Well, Jimmy Stewart was... Just wonderful. You know, he was taller than God, yeah. and I was short and always looking up. But he was gentle, he was kind, and um, during the pedal scene, I'll always remember that uh, I think he taught me a good lesson, and that was I, I messed up a line. Uh -huh. And he said, that's all right, Carolyn, you'll get it right <laughs> next time. <laughs> so, I did it again, and I got it right. And I, I sort of have felt like through the years that he gave me a little pat on the back that it's okay to make a mistake, but but you can do better the next time. You right. know? So I learned a little lesson there, and he was ever so gentle and was so kind, and he just was a good man. He really was. The whole everybody on the set was kind and good. I really don't have any memories of Donna Reed. Is oh. that strange? Yeah. That's... My focus was on him at all times. Right. And when we were around the tree, she might have been standing next to me, but I was all about him. Mm -hmm. And that's all I remember. How many takes, Carolyn, did the, uh, the flower scene take? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I didn't count the takes. Okay. No, I... You know, that's, I'm, I have no idea. Okay. Now, the, I have read that you still have an angel ornament from the actual tree that was used in the movie. Well, 
That might be true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what a, yeah, what a wonderful keepsake. That, that, that would be amazing. Now, let's talk about the name. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering where the name Zuzu came from. Well, there was a product made around the early 1900s called the Zuzu's Ginger Snaps. Ah. And they were made by the National Biscuit Company, which today is Nabisco. And so if you'll remember when Jimmy Stewart runs up the stairs and he's so glad to be back in his life, and I come out my door and I say, Daddy, Daddy, and he says, Zuzu, my little ginger snap. Right. So I was named after a cookie. Interesting, great, great story. Uh-huh. Now, uh, you were you were also in a movie uh, that John Ford did, uh, Rio Grande, in uh, 1950, and you get to ring another bell in that movie, right? Oh, I sure do. Yeah, <laughs> a big bell and a little bell. Right. Now, yep. you appeared also in uh, The Bishop's Wife in. Uh, I believe that was 1947. You play yes. the, the youngest daughter of, um, who was it, David Niven? David Niven and Loretta Young, their right. only daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful film that was. And, and it's, it's a Wonderful Life, Carolyn. How uh, would you rate the scenes? What's your favorite scene in the movie, looking back? It's where George is on the bridge, and he wants to live again. Ah, oh, yeah. And he says, I want to live again. I want to live again. Clarence, I want to live again. And then he says, God, please, I want to live again. But the minute he says the word God, it starts to snow. Right. And you, you don't normally notice it, but after you watch it for a while, you do notice that, and you know he's back. Right. And so, um, you know, he's learned what's important in life, I think, and that's, I don't know, faith and family and friends. And, you know, I think that's what it's all about. Truly what's important, Carolyn. You're right. Carolyn Grimes from It's a Wonderful Life is gracing our airwaves this evening. Now, would you know, Carolyn, how many other movies does It's a Wonderful Life appear in, where it's on the TV or or, uh, in a theater? Do you have any recollection of that? Well, I know it's in the Gremlins, mm-hmm. and it's a Christmas vacation. Right, that's the one I, I was that, thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know those those two for sure. But I think there's some more out there that that have it in there too. <laughs> Probably, yeah, um, yeah. I'm... Now, I I wanted to ask about the Raven. Uh, Its name was Jimmy the Raven, and from what I read, Carolyn, this bird has appeared in over a thousand films. Did you know that? I don't know that, but I know he was in six of Capra's films. Yeah. So Capra Capra used him a lot, and he was also the blackbird that flew in on the the Scarecrow in the movie The Wizard of Oz. That is true. That's what I was going to talk about with you, yes. For, for folks that remember the raven in It's a Wonderful Life, Uncle Billy's Bird, uh, that's the same raven that lands on Ray Bolger in The Wizard of Oz. Now, that, that is a fascinating piece of trivia, folks, and, and you should remember that, and you'll be the life of the party if you bring that up uh, at, at any <laughs> occasion you're at. And any any other distinctive moments 
that you remember from from the film and from from the whole experience, Carolyn? Well, you know, after every part, or after every movie, they have a party of some sort to end things. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They used to anyway. I don't know if they still do or not, but they used to. And so, for this one, Capra and Stewart had a picnic for all the cast and crew and their families. Because it was summertime, and, right, when it was filmed. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was summertime, yeah. And so um, we we had a great time. And about, oh, I guess 10 years ago, this lost footage from one of the workmen who, cameramen who took pictures of the picnic and on a video, he had a video, a, a, a reel on the picnic, and it was home stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, it it surfaced. I saw it years ago on eBay, and it, all all the man would give me information was that he had no idea it was on the reel. It just said it's a wonderful life, and that's all. He had no idea. Yeah. And so. We thought about it for a little bit, but he wanted seven hundred dollars for it. And I wow! Thought, yeah. <laughs> no, without him being able to tell me it was, you know, wonderful life, so I didn't buy it. Right? No, I probably <laughs> wouldn't have either. Up, <laughs> no, <laughs> it ended up that um, someone donated it, and they donated it to the academy, and so they had it put into the videos now, the DVDs. So it's on the DVDs, and it's footage of that wonderful picnic. And the first thing you see when it starts is me in his arms with a little ruffled sunsuit on. Yeah. (laughs) That's the first thing. And then they have, you know, those relay races, and they have all kinds of things. And for years. We had heard Jimmy Hawkins, Carol and I had heard Jimmy Hawkins say he won the watermelon eating contest. <laughs> now he was four years old. Come right. on, you yeah. know. So I said, we, we said you did not. That's impossible. You know, you're too little, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this film, <laughs> it shows he won the watermelon eating contest. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Oh, boy. Boy, we had to eat crow like yeah. <laughs> mad. And I said, how in the world did you do that at four years old? And he said, well, I swallowed the seeds. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's how how it went. But yeah. the picnic was a lot of fun, and we really enjoyed it. And and this footage is just it's fabulous. Oh, so I, I there can was imagine. a lot of camaraderie mm-hmm. on the on the set. It was it was good. It was really a very comfortable that you didn't have to be kind of worried or anything. Like for instance, the bishop's wife. I loved Terry Grant because he would tell me stories. That I think there was some. Oh, I don't know. They weren't very good friends because of the actions that had started the movie in the first place. Because David Evans was supposed to be the angel, and Cary Grant was my father. And that's the way they started filming it. And the studio head came down and said, I don't like it. So he fired the director and hired another director. And that director was Henry Custer, and he changed the parts. Uh So that Cary Grant was the angel. And so I think 
you know, there was a little hard feelings there. And um, so there, there wasn't that cordial atmosphere. It was different. But yeah. it, it's a wonderful life. It was just fun and, and happy, and no one got upset. It was just a good time. Yeah, uh, and I can imagine what I enjoy about it, Carolyn, is so many great character actors in, in the film. Oh, you yeah. have Frank Beulah Bondi. Oh, yeah. Beulah Bondi Thomas is one. Mm -hmm. you have Thomas Mitchell. Thomas Mitchell. Frank Phelan, who plays, uh, I saw him oh, the other yeah. day on, in Pride of the Yankees, is Ernie the Cab Driver. Of course, Ward Bond is in almost every movie that, that you could watch on Turner <laughs> Classic Movies. Ward Bond tur turns up in. And uh, the gentleman on the porch that tells George Kisser before. Uh, yes. Before, yeah. before talking her to death, he he was the mayor of uh, Mayberry uh, with Andy well, Griffith. He was, yes, he was. I saw him on and Superman he was also this morning. The mayor in one of the movies I was in called Honey Child with Judy Canova. Oh boy, yeah, I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, like I said, he showed up on Superman this morning when I was watching it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I love the fact that so many great character actors are in it. Now, now, when you when you go f from town to town and and from Seneca Falls, by the way, how how is the uh, the occasion in Seneca Falls? What do they do oh. up there? It's so much a success this year. It was just so much fun. They have a big bonfire. They have a Friday night dinner that's a replica of the opening night at the Ambassador Hotel that Frank Capra threw a dinner when we copy that. And um, there's just all kinds of activities, horse carriage rides, um, train rides. There's a little bit of everything. But the most thing I think most people enjoy are the presentations. Mm -hmm. um, there's many, many from many different people, people that have written about It's a Wonderful Life. They've published books. And then, of course, the stars that come in make presentations. And it's just, I just can't tell you how great it is. It's just really fun. And then, of course, we have the 5K run. Right. And we had like 5,000, I don't know, 400, something like that this year. Sign that's up for it. And they that's race. amazing. <laughs> Yeah, what, yeah what about a... the first 15 people are serious. You know, they're guys, and they're real serious about the race. <laughs> but after that, it's really fun. Everybody's it, having people fun. People dress up like, yeah, they do. They dress up like Christmas trees. They dress up in their pajamas, Christmas pajamas. They put lights all over themselves. I mean, it's all, it's hilarious, and it is so much fun to watch. Yes, yeah, it's, a, it's a nice little town. It is, and they go across two bridges, mm -hmm. and then they go into the neighborhoods, and the people that live there have little stands out, and so they offer them hot toddies and this little drink here and there, and <laughs> it's, nice. kind of, it's just a really great time. So um, I I can't tell you how good it is. It's just it, it's such a good family feeling, and the thing that's really good about it is that the people that love It's a Wonderful Life and enjoy it and understand it, they're such wonderful people. So this whole festival is full of nice people. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, what else could you ask for, Carolyn, but but good people? With a, you a couldn't. Good, good movie, good memories, good people. That that's uh, that's not in a nutshell, I guess. I wanted to ask yeah. you, Carolyn, before we go, 
some of the stories that you hear from fans about how the movie has affected their life. What are some some of the the more miraculous comments that you you hear from fans? Well, I've heard a lot of people tell me they've been on the bridge. Yeah. And they watched the movie, and it totally changed their lives. And, you know, we have now got in Seneca Falls, New York, a museum. It's a Seneca Falls. It's a Wonderful Life Museum. And they get people in there all the time that look for the messages from the film, and they... They say that the film saved their lives. Yeah, and that is amazing. I truly believe it. I believe it. Yeah, I can imagine uh, that it, it's had the, that effect on people. And um, there was one other thing I wanted to ask Carolyn, but it's just slipped my mind. Uh, oh, I'll think of Join it my world. Yeah, Join I know. my world. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting. I'm getting to that age where uh, you know I, I walk in the kitchen. I don't know what I'm looking for. So you know. Yes, there you go. Yep. I know. Well, Carolyn, it doesn't get any better. I'll tell you that. No, I agree with you. Um, it's been an honor and a pleasure talking with uh, with you tonight. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us back here on Long Island, and we wish you nothing but the best of life and best of health. Thank you very much, and Merry Christmas. And remember, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's it. Thank you so much, Carolyn. That's Carolyn Grimes, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that will do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Travis Jankowski and Zuzu herself, Carolyn Grimes, my engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you guys for joining us. Um, I want to thank you for your support all through 2023. Uh, couldn't do it if it wasn't for you guys. Your feedback, your encouragement, your comments, your memories uh, mean so much. So happy holidays. Merry Christmas until we speak again in 2024. Be safe and be well. This is Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.